You could stand at half cut and rep better than these guys. Oh, And we are back with another episode of From the Raptors. Sam and I are here recording on a Wednesday before the Celtics are taking on the Dallas Mavericks. And we are here with former Celtics and NBA writer for the Boston Herald, Steve Bullpet. How are you doing today, Steve? Doing fine. How are you guys? Good. Good. Thanks a lot Thank for you. coming on. Yeah, we no really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. So first thing we want to talk about was obviously Celtics lose a tough game to the Pelicans the other night. Marcus Smart seemingly everything blowing up in his face. What do you take from that Marcus Smart performance? I know a lot of people were talking about how it's one of the worst he's had as a Celtic. Do you think that's an over-exaggeration, or do you think that truly was just a really, really poor game for Marcus? I mean, yeah, he screwed up a couple times really bad, uh, but he also made some big plays. So, you know, um, let's look at Jason Tatum. How great is Jason Tatum, right? But then there's times where he goes one-on-one when he shouldn't and the ball sticks in his hand. So, you know, with everybody, there's good and bad. Uh, I'm not trying to say that Marcus Smart's as good as Jason Tatum, but, uh, you know, um, if you want what Marcus Smart gives you, uh, you're going to have to take what Marcus Smart also brings on the other side sometimes. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, Marcus, he's he's always been a little bit of a risk on the offensive end, right? But on the defensive end, he always brings you the grit and toughness. Unfortunately, you know, he had the little mishap where he shot the ball from half court. But, um, you know, it's just one for the blooper reel, I guess. For sure, yeah. I mean, you get the give and take, like you said, Stephen. I saw a tweet that you put out uh, about the last two-minute report and the NBA saying, oh, yeah, that should have been a foul on Marcus Smart, the one he was complaining about when he got ejected. What did you see in that play? Did you agree with that last minute report that Smart should have been called for a foul against Steven Adams? Do you think Adams should have been called for a foul, or do you think no call was the right play there? Well, if you look at it, uh, you know, first of all, referees in real time, I'm amazed that people don't understand what they're trying to do and, and what they have to see. It's like, you know, it's sometimes it's like, okay, Stand in a blender. We're going to put a bunch of ingredients in and, and spin it around, and you got to pick out the blueberries. Um, but in you know in real time, it, it probably looked like uh, like Marcus took a charge. But if you look at it on the video, uh, he does grab, uh, put his arm around uh, Stephen Adams, and that technically should be a foul on Marcus. Um, but you know, Marcus he makes those plays a lot. He's been you know, um, warned and fined by the league for for uh, flopping and all those things. And you know, again, it's uh, he's trying to make a play. And if it had worked out, it would have been great for the Celtics. Um, but it they they made it a no call. And again, if you go back and uh, and look at it, then you know, I mean, the video is available. Um, you know, check it out. It's it technically is a foul on Marcus. Yeah, that that was a tough one. I, I was watching it at work um, at the news station. But, I mean, I can absolutely see why he was so upset. Even though, like you say, he did hook him. We've seen that call a couple times before. And they were saying on the broadcast that they drew up that play solely to have uh, Marcus set a screen that he could potentially get run over. I think uh, yeah. he missed he missed out on getting a couple calls because of his reputation around the league as being a flopper. Whether he flops or not, I mean, he got run over a lot in that Pelicans game. He was on the floor a lot trying to guard Zion. Zion, just the way he plays, he just goes right through guys. So I'd imagine his frustration throughout the whole game of being on the floor, not getting calls. And then he had a couple soft calls the other way with, or not not soft, but like they gave the flagrant to Tatum. And then I believe there was one on Marcus, which was probably more of a flagrant than the Tatum one. But I can I can see why he was frustrated for sure. Yeah, just okay. definitely o- overall just a tough game for Marcus Smart to deal with, obviously ending in that ejection. Uh, and another guy who had a, 
a tough game in his Celtics debut. Evan Fortier, over 10 from the field, over 5 from deep. Uh, if tough's the way you want to put it, that's one way. Straight out bad might be another. <laughs> what do you see from Fortier uh, in that game? And are you worried moving forward? Or do you think this is just, you know, a blip on the radar? I'm concerned that uh, Evan Fournier will never make another shot again in the NBA. <laughs> I think his career is over. I think, um, you know, he's made his last bucket, and I hope it was a good one because that'll be it. And, uh, you know, he'll be back in France within a, a year, or actually within a few months, and uh, looking back on just a, an awful last chapter of his basketball life i don't know where he can play again after this <laughs> his last bucket was a good one it was a game winner for orlando if i'm not mistaken right jack yeah it was yeah. it was yeah uh, yeah i mean no i mean guy comes into a game it's his first one for a new team he wants to do well and the the worst thing you can do offensively is be thinking is having conscious thought it's got to be instinct and when all of a sudden you miss a couple and now you're thinking about your shot, oh, you know, uh, offensively, a, a mind is a terrible thing. You want to have that stuff on the computer chip uh, and just have it, have it be by instinct and get into a groove, get into a zone. And, you know, you start pressing and there you have it. I mean, uh, I think any basketball person could look at that game and, and just feel feel bad, feel awful for Evan Fournier. Yeah, I felt it too, because you know he wants to do well. He's excited. It's the first game where there's fans in the garden. Obviously, it's his debut, and there's all the, you know, the myth lore, whatever you want to call it, about Celtics fans being such great fans, and they end up booing him by the end of the night. It's just, it's it's a brutal debut story for him, but I, I'm sure he'll bounce back. Obviously, Brad Stevens said that he had confidence in him to bounce back. He said he's going to score a lot of buckets for the Celtics. So I, I'm excited to see how he responds against the Mavericks later on. For sure, yeah, especially with Brown being out in that game against the Pelicans. Hopefully Brown gets a chance to play tonight against the Mavs. But uh, talking about new guys, we mentioned Devin Fournier. Let's talk about another guy who's stolen the hearts of Boston fans already. I mean, Luke Cornett comes in as a throw-in piece in that Daniel Tice trade, has a huge game against the Thunder, has another decent game against the Pelicans. I mean, looking at the Celtic center rotation, I'm not saying Luke Cornett's going to come in and start. I mean, he's a nice bench piece. But what do you see with Luke Cornett and with the Celtic center rotation as a whole with Tristan Thompson coming back hopefully soon? Well, um, <clears throat> he checks some of the uh, some of the key boxes that Brad Stevens is looking for in the offense that the Celtics run. Uh, but, you know, um, just the same way you wouldn't use a small sample size to uh, indict Evan Fournier, you wouldn't use a small sample size to uh, send Luke Cornett to Springfield. Um, you know, uh, look, when he got, when the deal happened, the general idea was that he was probably never going to play. He was going to get waived. Um, but it's an opportunity league. And, you know, we'll see what happens from here. Um, you know, uh, the, what the longest journey begins with the, with, uh, with one step. So. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I know I, I remember Luke Cornett with his days with the Knicks. He, he was okay, but ho hopefully he can, you know, notch himself a nice little role in the Celtics, but worst case uh, comes to worst, he's gone after the season and it's a nice little story for this year, but, uh, Talking about that trade as a whole, obviously it was made for the purpose of getting under the luxury tax. How do you feel about it? Do you like was it completely necessary in your eyes? Like, what are your thoughts on the Tice trade as a whole? That obviously saw Javante Green go to Chicago as well. Well, yeah, they were. Um, it was a, a move for the cap. You want to you want to avoid the repeater tax, uh, which is where the you know that's something that can really hinder your ability to make moves. Um, but uh, you know, it was it was also clearing time for uh, for Rob Williams, um, and they had to look at it and say, you know, uh, as as good as Daniel Tice has been, and I think he's played really good ball, and he's just been that kind of guy that you know you're you're really happy for a guy like like Daniel Tice's success because you know, whereas a lot of guys when someone large is bearing down on them preparing to dunk a lot of guys will you know 
exit stage left and try to avoid the poster. Daniel Tice never had a problem sticking his nose in there. So again, just a, a real good guy and a real good player. Uh, but you had to wonder, you know, how far were you going to get with Daniel Tice uh, defensively? Was he going to be able to do the things you needed? So, yeah. And the other part that's, you know, we're leaving out here too is uh, when the summer comes, what are your odds of being able to uh, re-sign Daniel Tice? Are you going to be able to pay what he's going to be worth on the open market? So, um, you know, it was a, a move that was kind of out of the blue a little bit, but um, it, that's understandable. I think the Fournier move is, you know, you could have more questions with that on, you know, spending your uh, a chunk of the traded player exception um, on a guy that it's, that's going to be a free agent after the season. This is a good point at the end about the Fournier thing where – we all really don't think about that. We're, the first thing I thought, I was like, wow, that's like free. I mean, I knew he was expiring, but I was really pumped. I hate I hate trades. I hate talking trades because I hate giving things up. And uh, Daniel Tice was something I, I didn't particularly want to give up. I'm, I'm okay with it. I think they got an all right return. But he had been playing really good ball for the last couple of years, especially stepping into the starting role after Horford left. And uh, I was sad to see him go. He had a good debut for the Bulls. And as you tweeted out, uh, it killed me. The war on Tice has come to an end, right, Steve? They didn't even call any fouls on him through his first game. I don't know. I think the officials may um, get together on a conference call and say, yeah, by the way, Daniel Tice, the guy in for Chicago, that's him. I don't think they recognize him without a self-uniform. They weren't ready so, yet. Uh, you know, look, I I think, like I said, referee talk to me is, is just a, it's a bunch of BS. And, and people that complain about calls, it's like, you know, if you knew these guys, if you knew the referees, you know, um, the idea that they that they're playing favorites, that this and that is is just ludicrous. But I will say that I have seen games where Daniel Tice has gone out, has walked out from the bench to the center circle for the opening tip, and he already has two fouls. <laughs> Absolutely brutal. The war on Tice, I mean – who knows if it'll continue in Chicago. Maybe maybe you're right, Steve. They need to uh, get hip to the New Jersey colors he's wearing, the red and black instead of the green and white. But uh, uh, I, I agree with your sentiment about the foul thing. I mean, we saw a couple games ago the Celtics just continuously not get back uh, on defense after complaining on foul calls. And it gets annoying after a while because you you got to get used to it. Jason Tatum talked about it post game. He said, you just got to get right through it and you got to keep playing. We can't let it get in our heads, everything like that. And Kemba Walker was probably one of the main – uh, guys who was doing it and that reminded me I, I wanted your thoughts on Kemba's season so far obviously there are these rumors going on that you know he might get traded in the offseason Danny tried to trade him last offseason where do you see Kemba's future with the team being at right now and then how do you like his play so far this season well you know I think as far as the future goes you gotta let this year play out and see what happens um as far as this year with him um yeah, he when he came back from being out so long, he had some up and down games. But the last couple of games, he's played really well. And I don't think there's any a coincidence that uh that he's playing better because and the Celtics are playing with much more pace. They're they're pushing the ball a lot more. Um so um you know, I I don't think that's an accident. I've been, you know, talking to, to friends and other people and basketball people about that the last few days, you know, the Celts are, are definitely been playing with more pace the last couple. And that is a, is a, a style that certainly suits. It suits everybody on that team, whether they want to realize it or not. Uh, but it certainly suits Kemba. So, um, you know, uh, I'm willing to say to, to let things play out and see how things work out with him. But as always, if you can find a good move, you know, you make it. Yeah, I love the pace. I, I completely agree with you. The Celtics are absolutely at their best when they're out running because that's where the easiest buckets are. It's usually an easy layup unless, you know, the Fournier miss. At least Pritchard was with him on that break. 
Um, but going back to the referees, I didn't I didn't get to jab in with Jack. I, I agree with that, too. I really hate when the guys complain about the refs. Tatum, I was surprised he was the one talking about it. He's usually always got his arms up in the air, and I always get frustrated when he will complain. But um, they got to get through it because even if the refs are bad, we, we can complain all we want. They still didn't play a complete game. You know, you can you can knock Fournier for being 0 of 10. That's definitely something that will improve and should have improved in that game. Would have gave him a better shot to win. Uh, Marcus Smart missed a lot of shots, unfortunately. There's always room for improvement despite the officials. And I think the players need to realize that, including Kemba, who's had a brutal, brutal whistle this season. Well, and you look at, you know, here's one thing you can say about officiating just basketball in general. The whistle generally favors the more aggressive team. And you look at when the Celtics make their runs, they extend their defense. They're, they're playing. They're not just reaching, they're, but they're moving their feet. And uh, that gets you a better whistle. You know, the, the, the referees, if you're, if you're reaching, that's like a signal right there. You know, and, and uh, the Celtics in the game the other night, what happened like third quarter, all of a sudden the defensive intensity goes away and you're like, a, they're, they're playing like sitting ducks. Uh, you have to be, look, the, the offensive player should always have an advantage because he knows where he's going to go before the defensive player knows where he's going to go. So you have to be more aggressive before the play is initiated to you know, to, to keep, to prevent the player from perhaps going where he wants to go. And when that kind of intensity goes away, now you've got a guy that can get a step on a, on his man and you get into rotations and how many times this season you saw it a ton in the last game where the rotation, a guy's helping out because someone's gotten beat by a half a step. Uh, there's a pass out to the wing for an open three and that's where the Celtics are getting killed. Um, so, you know, you got to play your man head up better so that the, you don't require help. And that require that means you have to play aggressively, assertively. And, you know, these are, these are just basic basketball principles that are never going to go away. And look, the Celtics can, can bitch all they want about calls and this and that, but they've, you know, blown themselves out of the playoffs the last, you know, they've eliminated themselves the last three years by playing hero ball. And that goes to, doesn't go to roster. It doesn't go to depth. It doesn't go to referees calls. It certainly doesn't go to coaching, but they've, you know, instead of running the play or running the offense and just moving the ball and cutting, they've said, okay, you know, you've got guys saying, well, I'll take responsibility. I'll go make a play. Well, that's really admirable of you but you've taken the team out of what you want to do. And now the defense can collapse far more easily. And, you know, the game just kind of blows up on you. Now you mentioned the hero ball and Jack and I both agree. We were looking at each other on the, on the call, not in our heads. Absolutely nailed it. Do you think that's on Brad Stevens? Uh, A lot of people tend to think that way. I don't think Jack and I believe that at all, but he gets a lot of criticism. How much of it do you think is fair? Does anyone honestly think that Brad Stevens is telling guys, you know, <laughs> dribbling, and you know, if if the other if there's like another defender comes over, dribble some more, and if a third defender comes, dribble a little bit more, then take a fall away. You know, it's the Patriots fans. They, they know, come in. I don't in. Care how anyone. If you listen to Brad, he's always talking about the you know the need to to make sure the ball doesn't stick, to make sure the ball is popping around. You know, that's, that's basic basketball. And, uh, you know, I've been saying this for the last few months in, in different spots here that if you're a player and you're being told, your coach is telling you something that he wants you to do, and you know that what he's telling you is not only good for the team, but it's also good for you and your own self-interest in the long run, and you still don't do it, well, who's the issue here? Is it the coach or is it the player? You know, I mean, uh, if you would you, offense is tough and guys that that can make tough shots. Well, that's cool. 
but you, you really want to make easier shots. And if the ball is moving, you're giving the defense a chance to mess up and miss a rotation the same way we were talking about the Celtics a moment ago, right? And how much better would Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and all these guys be as finishers, like catch the ball and be able to just finish without having to put it on the floor? Um, you know, you saw last game, was it, uh, I think Tatum had a, a really good pocket laydown pass for a dunk. Um, you know, this stuff is, is basic basketball 101. And, you know, uh, you know, I don't get it. I mean, you know, and look, I get it. The guys are young and all these different things and they're trying to establish themselves. But when, you know, what's the, the definition of insanity is re- repeating the same behavior and expecting different results. Yeah, that uh, I like the point about the finishing. And I think that is why, you know, the fans and, you know, I mean, everyone is clamoring for more Robert Williams because he that's all he does is finish. He's not having to create shots. He he goes up and gets the ball and finishes. And I think well, and he also, Brown, he's, oh, also, he's also good with passes, too. Yeah. I mean, how many times he made a, a real nice pass to uh, the Tatum last game cutting? You know, that's, that's the thing is, you know, that kind of basketball um, feeds on itself and grows. It, but if you're cutting and you're not seeing the ball, you know, how, how much more willing are you going to be to, to cut the next time? And that's the game. You know, you cut, you take someone with you, that opens up a space. And that's, that's where space gets created. But even if you're just moving the ball around the perimeter, you know, what's the value necessarily you've got to get guys moving and cutting and you know how many times have you seen and, and Tice was really good at this and you saw it from Rob Williams last game a couple of times you know a, a guy like Tatum drives to the basket you score you go wow what a great play by Tatum you know drove and scored now he didn't make the play it was Tice sealing the defender that made the play you know he's the guy that should get credit for the bucket because he held his position and sealed the defender. Um, and that's, that's winning basketball. Yeah. And you mentioned winning basketball and you, you talked about, you know, obviously the Celtics shooting themselves out of the playoffs last season, but I, I feel like the biggest difference from those season to this season is just the very clear, steep drop off in the defensive abilities of the team, including offense too. offense has been rough this year, but when you look at the way the team's constructed, right, it's, a matter of, of a lack of Gordon Hayward, and then you lose obviously Cantor and Wanamaker too. But that shouldn't account for this steep of a drop off in play. And it's never fun to play the game game, and it's not easy to play the blame game either. But what aspects of the Celtics game this year do you think are so much different than last year, where the drop off in record and just ability to finish games is so different than in years prior? Well, I think I think it hurt them not having Kemba from the start of the season uh, because Kemba's a guy that is a very good teammate, not a good teammate, a very good teammate. And he's got, he's a guy that gets people together, Uh, but they've not had the kind of cohesiveness. And I just think it's, it's getting it through their heads that for all their talent, it's useless unless you play aggressive defense. And again, and that, again, that'll, that'll feed into what you want individually because, uh, Tough defense leads to opportunity basket. You create turnovers, you go the other way with numbers, opportunity baskets, you score easily, and life is good. And look, when you're playing that kind of defense and you're playing passing, cutting offense, the ball is going to find energy. And, you know, that puts you in the zone you want to be in as a team. Um, You know, it just there's so many examples of, of of what you need to do. And for all the issues you can say, look, and I said before the season that uh, as much as Gordon Hayward was in a difficult situation here, that ball movement and cutting were one of the biggest, were probably the biggest problem with this team and it getting eliminated last year and even the year before that and certainly the year before that when they lost in game seven at home to Cleveland, but, and, and, but Gordon Hayward was a guy that you could count on to play the right way, to move the basketball, to pass and cut. 
Uh, and it was going to be difficult. You were going to miss what he brought you. But with all that said, it is certainly within the capabilities of the players who remain to play that way, to move the ball, to cut. And again, the rewards are great. Team-wise, individual-wise, you'll get your numbers and you'll be able to, you'll be shooting a higher percentage because you'll be taking better shots. I mean, Utah is a very good basketball team, but their shooters, their, the percentage of, that those guys shoot from three is greatly enhanced by the way they move the basketball, by the way they give it up unselfishly. And that's why Utah shoots so well. You can't just say, well, the Phillies don't have shooters that are that good. Well, you know, give the, the guys that are in the Celtics, give them open shots in rhythm, in to out, squared up, and then look at their shooting percentage. Yeah, I, I think the shooters on the Celtics aren't that bad. I mean, we obviously, we see a lot of inconsistency from certain guys like Shemi. Shemi is someone that like, He'll have a game where he scores 20 points, then he he can't get a basket. Uh, Grant Williams is a guy that, for some reason, I believe every time he shoots the ball, it's going to go in. I think I, I have false confidence in Grant for some reason. And then, obviously, Brown, Tatum, Kemba, Marcus can be a good – seven for nine against Milwaukee on Friday, I believe. I mean, he he is someone that is a streaky guy as well. So they have so the capabilities kind of, to do that. What kind of shots is he getting? That's what you got to look at. Right. If he's coming down and he's – Flinging it up, that's one thing. But is he getting shots where he's squared up on the perimeter? Someone's getting a, a, a penetration to the paint and then passing it out to a squared up Marcus? You know, there's nothing wrong with his mechanics. You certainly see it at the free throw line. Nothing wrong with his mechanics. Yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to this second half of the season, if you will. Because they did bring in more "quote unquote" shooters, despite having guys around the team. Like we already talked about, Cornette, Mo Wagner is a guy that can shoot. He made his first shot as a Celtic from the same spot that Tice missed his last. Um, you know, obviously Fournier. So they they really have less excuses in that department. I think they got some solid depth out of those trades. It's not the best depth, but I'm excited to see how they are able to improve, if at all. Do you think what do you think the capabilities of this team are? Because from what we've discussed today, we we all seem to believe that there's a lot that they're not doing correctly, and if they iron it out, they are they should be a good team. I think they can that if they got their stuff together, I think they could be competitive with just about anybody. Um, but the way I look at, you know, saying where does where do teams fit? I, I just the way I judge that for 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 right or wrong is you look at a team, you look at its roster, and say if they played to their maximum capability, and and both teams in the, in that game and series played to their maximum capability, who would win? Now, if you look at individual player talents, and you know no one can touch Brooklyn, right? But you know I want to see Brooklyn with. Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden on the floor together. Uh, and I want to see how that works, not only from a, a basketball point of view, but I want to see the, the, the so sociological and psychological study of that one. You know, I want to see where the ball goes and, uh, and how guys, uh, how willing guys are to sacrifice and, and play for the greater good at, at times, or will, will other instincts kick in? But if you look at it, Kyrie Irving, Durant, James Harden, in terms of pure basketball talent, you know, there's certainly three of the top 10 in the league, right? I mean, Kyrie, for all his whatever, is an incredibly gifted basketball player. My God, that guy is good. Uh, right. And, you know, Harden shows what he can do. And as good as Kyrie and, and Harden are, Durant may be even, you know, even greater. So that's, you know, it's kind of hard to fathom all that talent in one situation. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Yeah, I mean, it, it really might be the most purely, like you said, basketball talent trio 
the league has seen, which is scary, but you do need to see them on the floor. And don't get me started, bro. I mean, 35-year-old Demarcus Aldridge is going to come in average 30 a game with the way he's being hyped up by the media. So you can't you can't sleep on him either. Uh, and then Blake Griffin too. So th- they've got some really elite all-star t- talent. Do you have a problem with the buyout, market. Steve? Because we, we've been talking a lot about this lately, about the buyout market and how guys are – I don't know if you want to call it quitting on teams, but they just kind of – they're giving up, and then they go and join a contender. Is, is there a problem with want. that? Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't be looking so much to, to illustrate your point. Uh, I think I'd be looking more at what happened with what James Harden did with Houston than That's the, than the buyout, per se. Um, but, you know, look, in terms of Aldridge, I think – I don't think he just laid down and said, I'm, uh, you know, I want to get myself out of here. I think the Spurs looked at, at the situation and said, here we are as a basketball team. How far can we go right now? Um, what's in our way? Um, does Mar- uh, is LaMarcus Aldridge going to be here when we have a chance to be good again? And I think that's just basically teams. You have to look at the situation um, and make those kind of judgments because it's not just about gathering as many good players as you can and, and rolling the ball out and let's go play. You have to factor in cap situations and, you know, roster spots and development. Um, look, you know, it does, you know, how teams approach things. And I, I guess I'm kind of reaching back for this example, but to me, one of the best moves Danny Ainge has ever made uh, in in this job is in the summer of 2007, when it was, you know, he, yeah, sure, he brings in Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. But the, I thought one of the key things he did that summer was not go out and get a veteran point guard like Doc Rivers wanted. Uh, Danny Ainge forced Doc Rivers to play Rajon Rondo. And, you know, I, I think there might be a little some of that now with, you know, um, I'm a Jeff T believer. So, but I think that, that, uh, that Danny moving on from T yeah, it was roster spot and this and that, but I think he was kind of forcing um, Brad to, to play uh Creighton Pritchett more. Not that Brad had a real problem with that, but uh, as well as as Teagan played the last couple of games, you know. Um, anyway, I, so I, I think to get to your point again, um, it does feel weird when guys get buyouts and then kind of go join a, a wagon. Um, but hey, the Celts have benefited from that in the past maybe not to the degree of like a, an all-star player, but, you know, do the Celtics win in 2008 if PJ Brown doesn't get, uh, doesn't get bought out and come to the Celtics. Right. He had a big yeah. shot against Cleveland in game seven, for sure. Um, two, two other young guys, uh, you mentioned Pritchard, Neesmith and Langford, uh, Langford more specifically will be coming back into the lineup somewhat soon. He's questionable for tonight's game. What do you, what are your expectations for the two of those guys? Well, I mean, it, it's, you got to see, you know, I mean, we're not uh, in at practices, so we don't know, you know, a lot of stuff. So you, you kind of have to judge by what limited view you've had on guys. So, um, you know, Neesmith, from what I've seen so far this year, he's kind of intriguing. Um, but, you know, like, could he be playing more uh, earlier on? I kind of think so. But again, we're not there at practice uh, inside and seeing how he's doing in those situations. But could uh, could Aaron Neesmith uh, be um, uh, Duncan Robinson? You know, there was a guy that, that uh, Miami gave him the ball and said, go ahead, fire away. Uh, because I, if I look at one thing that, that – maybe making you a little bit uneasy right now about Aaron Neesmith is, you know, he comes into games and, you know, he's, he's trying to be a shooter, but first of all, is he getting good shots? And that's goes back to the discussion about the offense. 
But, you know, you want to see him be able to develop that kind of confidence and that kind of rhythm and uh, just instinct. And, but so he's a guy that I, that I, he certainly intrigues me and the limited view we've had of Romeo Langford, you know, he's got, he's a guy that just kind of got a scoring knack. So, you know, I don't expect a whole lot because he's coming back from injury and then he gets the setback of COVID and we still don't know how that's going to affect him. It certainly affected uh, Jason Tatum when he came back. So, you know, I guess, you know, you don't want to answer a question with a question, but I've still got huge, you know, I think those are open questions about how those guys fit now and going forward. For sure, yeah. I'm definitely intrigued at Romeo Langford. We obviously haven't seen much of him in the past year, but a lot of people are saying he could be an important piece to the Celtics rotation. So I'm looking forward to him entering it once again. I mean, he's a myth at this point, so I guess we'll see. But I know, Sam, you had a couple things you wanted to mention before we wrap up this interview. Thank you, Steve, again for joining us. But uh, Sam, go ahead. Yeah, Steve, every time we have a first-time guest on the show, I run through a couple of, I guess, fan-based questions, um, you know, different things about your Celtics fandom, whether or not you grew up as a fan, you've covered the team for 10 years. So I have a few questions. Uh, do you have a favorite Ten piece? 10, you covered them for 10 years for the Herald, right? Uh, you're a little short, but that's okay. In, uh, enlighten me, please. I'm so sorry. Since 1985. <laughs> yeah. So you, you have your fair wow. share of experience 30, with the team. 30, 35 years. <laughs> I'm so but sorry. Seven, yeah. you, you cut his ears in a third. Oh no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I actually, but, I actually played. I actually played in the old garden. I played a high school game in the old garden. Did you? Yeah. That's so awesome. I, I'm, I'm ups, not upset, but I, I wish I got to experience the old garden. You know, I'm, I was born in '98. Not to make you feel old, but. Um, <laughs> You know, we, we I don't feel old, dude. I just did four miles and I'm feeling great. So that's great. It's more than I can run. So, <laughs> um, but, so, so two things. Number one, ask your question. Number two, get off my lawn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, number one, do you have a favorite piece of Celtics memorabilia that you keep around? Maybe something like a ticket stub, uh, autograph. Yeah, I know you cover the team, so those things might not be as, you know, like, uh, on a pedestal as for a fan, but at the same time, do you have any interesting pieces like that? Well, first of all, um, yeah, I grew up a Celtic fan and I grew up in the area, but when you're covering a team, you're not a fan of the team. If you're doing your job properly, if you're going to trust the junk I'm writing, you have to believe and understand. Uh, and, and I have to prove it to you that it's not coming from an angle of, you know, gosh, gee whiz, I really want this team to win. I'm not rooting for anybody. When you're covering a team, you're rooting for no overtime. You're rooting, you want to make your deadlines and all that stuff. Um, and you want to see good basketball. Um, so, yeah, it, this is a, it's a job and it's a business. Um, and I consider myself more of a basketball person than a media person. You can probably tell that by how I kind of nerd out on you know, discussing X's and O's and, and what the right way to play is. Um, but um, I've got one weird piece of, of I guess, memorabilia, though I, it wasn't intended to stay in my possession. Um, in 1993, uh, Kevin McHale, the Celtics got eliminated by uh, Charlotte, in Charlotte, and uh, Kevin McHale afterwards uh, announced his retirement. Um, he basically, you know, he, we kind of knew it was coming. And, uh, so I was, uh, there, uh, as a columnist that night for the Herald. And, uh, so my column was on, you know, um, the end of, of Kevin's career. So, uh, we had talked to him courtside and then he, he had another interview session in the, in the dressing room. And, um, so we finished up. And he said, uh, that's it. Uh, that, that's the last act of my Celtic career. And then he said, no, wait a minute, this is. And he reaches down, grabs this ankle brace that he's been wearing because he had played on the broken foot in the 87 playoffs. And that really 
that changed a lot of Celtic trajectory there. And if you go back, it's kind of amazing how you can piece things together. But he gets up, he said, gets up, uh, picks up the, uh, the brace, stands up and throws it into the corner of the dressing room and says, that's my last act as a Celtic. And so I go out of the dressing room, I go write my column, and I'm finished up. And um, I, uh, I start thinking about that brace. And, um, you know, I'm waiting for a couple of other writers to finish so we can head back to the hotel. And I take a walk back to the dressing room, and they haven't come in to clean up yet. And I walk over to the corner to see if that brace is still there. So I went over, and, I, and it was there. And I picked it up, and I was going to – first of all, I offered it back to Kevin. And um, actually, I offered it back to him. We were talking a couple of weeks ago, and I offered it back to him again. And he, he, he wants no part of it. Uh, but at that time, we're talking 93, and it's still a big deal. I was going to um, give it to a charity to auction off, you know, for a weird memorabilia item. Right. And that never worked out. And then years later, I realized I still have this thing. <laughs> so, wow. um, yeah. That, that may be the, the best other... story that we've gotten yeah. about it, a yeah. piece of memorabilia. The other other kind of memorabilia I have, you know, a piece of memorabilia that's, well, it's it's kind of more important in a personal sense. Um, again, I'm not, you know, I've got a bunch of old press passes somewhere, but, you know, who, who gives a whoop? Uh, there was a guy, Frank Hamblin, uh, and he was an assistant coach for a bunch of teams, and uh, most recently the Lakers. And... Um, Actually, he, he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, it was a really close friend of mine um, from, um, from Terre Haute, Indiana, played at Syracuse and had been an assistant for the, for the Kings and the Bucks and a uh, bunch of teams. Anyway, he uh, got to the Bulls as an assistant for Phil, for Phil Jackson. And um, in his first year with the Bulls, they won a championship. And um, so I'm out there, you know, uh, covering the series and uh, they win the title. I bang out my column and uh, make that line. And I say, hello, I'm going to go to the Bulls dressing room and see if, see if Frank is still there. And, um, you know, c congratulate my friend, you know? Right. And I go in and there's like a little coach's office and, uh, you know, Phil is there and a couple of people. And um, Frank goes, come on in. And he said, grab a cup. And he pours me some champagne into this plastic cup for me at the United Center. And I'm, we're hanging out, and I'm just so happy for him because he's been a basketball lifer, and now he's a champion. And um, so we talked for a while, and it was, I'm just, again, really happy for him. I'm walking. I, I got to go back and, you know, get on the media bus, one of the media buses, and head back to the hotel. And I'm, I walk out of the dressing room, walk onto the floor, and I'm walking diagonally across the court uh, to the media area. And I finish up the champagne thing, and there's a, a bunch of uh, confetti that they dropped. And I grab a few handfuls of it, put it in the cup, and took a box score from the game and jammed it so it would stay in there. And um, And I still have that. And when the and when the Celtics lost to the Lakers in game seven in 2010, I did the same thing. I saw Frank in the dressing room afterwards and grabbed a bunch of confetti, the purple and gold thing, and put a box score. And that was, uh, you know, um, my friend's first championship and then one of his last. So um, those, that's kind of more personal, but uh, kind of a long story. And I, I apologize for dragging on with it. No, we no, love that's, stories. That's amazing. That's like so unique too, like the, the confetti and the champagne cup and everything. That's that's awesome. Wow. It was kind of funny. Um, in 2010, the Celtics lose Game Seven, a game they never should have lost to the Lakers. Um, and uh, I was staying out in the marina, Marina Del Rey, and uh, driving back. And I'm thinking, you know, there's no way Frank you know, hung around the victory party and stuff. And I veered off on the way to the marina and went to Playa del Rey. There's a little dive bar there that 
Frank would hang out at and sometimes Phil would stop in as well, Phil Jackson. But anyway, I walk in and there's Frank and uh, we had a good discussion about the game and I, uh, I took some of the confetti, I put, I put some in my pocket and I dropped it over his head too. So <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. How, how did you guys become good friends just from you covering, uh, you know, basketball throughout the years? Yeah. Um, the NBA used to have league meetings every year that, that combined everything. And it was always like in September before the season would start and they'd have it at, uh, some resort, someplace, uh, you know, in the U S you know, continental U S and stuff. And the first one I went to was in 86 in, uh, in Orlando at, uh, Orlando, the grand Cypress area there. And, um, you know, just one hotel and, you know, they'd have a bunch of meetings and they'd have like broadcast meetings and competition committee stuff and PR meetings and different things, but there'd be media there because it was, there were things to cover. And by the way, all the coaches were there and GMs. So, you know, the relationships you built in the, in the, the at the hotel bar, you know? Um, so, yeah. So I, I met Frank then and um, we just, you know, hit it off because, we've kind of both got a little strange, you know, strange senses of humor. And, um, you know, I just like I said, became friends over the years and, uh, you know, it's still his passing, uh, still kills me. Um, but a, a really, really good guy. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. See, you, you just hit us with two of the best memorabilia stories. In, <laughs> I, the friendship is better than memorabilia. I mean, yeah, you, you knocked it out of the park. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, funny. It's, it's um, now Kobe's been was great over the years. He was Kobe was very good to the Boston Herald. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Uh, but when when uh, when Phil Jackson first got to uh, the Lakers, um, you know, he was trying to get Kobe to. He was trying to institute the the triangle offense. And um, anyway, I'd gone out early for a Celtics game. And um, Frank Hamblin and I uh, met up at this, at this, you know, I don't think it's even there anymore, in the Marina Jerry's Deli. Um, and uh, after the game, and it was like a, almost, I think it was a 24-hour place or something. Anyway, I remember asking him, you know, about how much of the time is Kobe running your stuff, you know, stuff you want him to run. And Anthony Frank, I think Frank said, he's, he's running it about half the time. He goes, and what's interesting is <laughs> when, when, he's, when he's not running it, the way that the triangle set up, he not only has to beat his man, but he has to beat our guy who's in the way of him. And he's still doing that too. <laughs> so that's how good Kobe was. Classic. That sounds like Kobe from everything, you know, everyone tells about him. <laughs> a lot of people always have good things to say about him when we, you know, ask about interviews and things like that with different media members. He's, he sounded like he was like a really good guy to talk to. You know, he understood everybody's mm-hmm. job and he gave good uh, answers, you know, always respectful. Yeah. You know, I mean, and you, uh, you had to understand Kobe too. I mean, you know, and remember it was uh you played in the in the, the rookie all-star game the you know, rookie sophomore game whatever was in cleveland one year and um i remember he's playing this game and he's firing up and mark heisler from the la times after one particularly kobe-ish play turns to me and says that's kobe in a nutshell talented comma nuts um <laughs> But he was, he was, yeah, he's a guy that understood things. And, you know, I remember it was at the, one of the last times I, had, I did a, a, a private sit-down with him. We, we, he was injured. He was out injured. And I saw him in a game, and I said, I, I'd gone in early. I said, I need to talk to you. Um, and he said, uh, said well, because I haven't been talking to media now because I've been out injured. He goes, come to practice tomorrow. And when they let the media in, go to the back hallway. You know, and so I did. And then we, he, he actually, that was the interview where he sat down and opened up to me about how much he really, really loved Boston 
and how much the the you know the, the he loved the fans, he loved the the passion, and you know he loved beating the Celtics, but um, he just you know how much he really loved the city and and all those things. And he and he talked about how when they lost the championship in two thousand eight, how the the uh, the Garden they kept playing the Dropkick Murphy song shipping up to Boston. And that next summer, he told me that he um, had played that song during his workouts just to piss himself off and motivate him. And, uh, <laughs> Sounds about right. I yeah. had tried. I'd also gotten to know uh, Ken Casey, uh, the, the singer uh, from uh, Dropkick Murphys. And I had tried so hard to get them on a, on a phone together. And we tried a couple of times, but we just kept missing that and i really wanted to do it and put it on the phone on speakerphone because i wanted to record that puppy and uh <laughs> and, and tell that story the uh, but yeah um anyway yeah kobe um i'm not sure how he got down this rabbit hole but uh um i really would have been interested to see what kobe's next chapters would have been Mm -hmm. um i'm sure they would have been really interesting i I wouldn't have just faded into the sunset um there was a guy that was driven to do wild stuff and i mean pretty great stuff yeah for sure the the next question we always get into um you know it's hard to follow up kobe with anything but i'm sure you have some great moments that you've been at you know you cover the team for more than 10 years news to me <laughs> I'm, again sorry about that but um you know you've you've seen it all so do you have a favorite moment that you've got to you know be at the garden for it, uh maybe not a championship because those are easy but a lot of people will <laughs> say you know my my particular favorite was probably i got to go to paul pierce day his last game at the garden that was pretty pretty awesome so any anything along those lines and why uh, well um Let's see. Should we talk about uh, uh, Celtic moments? Hmm. Could be anything. Here's yeah. a, weird, a, weird, a weird one. I mean, you know, um, well, a couple of weird ones. Uh, in 86, they had the first three-point contest. I've been telling the story a couple of times recently. Um, in 86, they have that uh, the first three-point contest, and Larry Bird wins it. And um, so the back then the team was flying commercial and, you know, guys with the all-star flying commercial from Dallas to the first game was in Sacramento afterwards. Um, so Monday morning, uh, the Celtic people, uh, they were in, involved in the game, uh, were on um, commercial flight from uh, Dallas to San Francisco, San Francisco to Sacramento. And, um, the, sac the flight from Sacramento to San, sac San Francisco to Sacramento, I think the flight was like three minutes. I think we, we dusted some crops along the way. Um, it's a really short, short distance. Anyway, um, get to Sacramento, and they were staying at the Red Lion Inn, uh, this kind of a motelish hotel kind of thing. And the team is gathering at, to get on the bus to go to practice on that Monday night. And... Um, Bird is standing by the door of the bus. He's got one of those little dime store notebooks. And he had bet like everybody. Um, you know, we're talking just a few dollars here and there. <laughs> and he's standing there going, hey, I got you down here. Come on, get up, get up the money here. I'm three-point king. You told me I wasn't going to win it. I told you I was going to be the three-point king. Go get your money. Oh, come on, Larry. It's in my room. It's, it's miles away. Don't, don't, don't wait for it. They ain't going to leave without me. I'm the three-point king. Go get your money. Come on. He had the dime store notebook and he's taking these checking guys off, you know? So that tells you not only, of course, you, you, we all know how great a player he was, but he was that kind of competitor too. And that was, that was huge. Um, if I can give you more than one moment, is that okay? Of course. Of course. Give as many as you oh, want. Yeah. Well, there was, there was the moment where we were uh, Shaq, came over and, you know, the whole story about Paul Pierce getting the truth nickname. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but yep. that was kind of weird. Um, but 
Uh, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Remember the Celtics season where they won like 15 games? Which one? Uh, Not in the but, 90s, right? In the 2000s? Yeah. The, the one no, before no, the big no, three? No. Like, like right yeah, before? Oh, yeah. 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 And, uh, well, you know, I think ML was coaching. And um, anyway, um, they, the Celtics would come out of the dressing room and they would meet in the hallway and have a quick, the players would have like a quick huddle and then, you know, like one, two, three Celtics and go out to the game. And at that point in the pregame, that hallway is kind of, you know, cordoned off from media. Like you're able to go through there back and forth uh, before that. But then, you know, a couple of minutes before, they really don't want anyone else in there. And I had been talking to someone down the end of the hallway in, in a little alcove there. And um, when I finished, I poked my head out and all of a sudden there's the Celtic players um, in the middle. And it's usually someone will say something in, this is before the last game of that season, excuse me. And usually someone will say, you know, something inspirational, like, well, let's go get, we'll get them tonight. And, you know, one, two, three Celtics. And they, you know, run onto the court. Well, the guys get into that little huddle and there's like a, a, a kind of an awkward pause of silence and a voice in the middle. And I've confirmed with him later, it was Rick Fox just paused and said, let's get this fucking thing over with. And he went out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. So, weird. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If I won that many games in a season. Oh, it's gotta, it's gonna be like wow. really take a toll on them to go out and lose all the time, you know. It's gonna be tough for some guys. Yeah. I mean, they are getting paid quite a bit, so <laughs> can't be the worst. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, one more thing I'll ask, and then we'll we'll uh, you know let you let you get up out of here. Um, do you have a favorite story that you got to cover? Any any column that you wrote that sticks out in particular? Ah. Uh. Well, the the thing about when Shaq, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the, the beginning of the, the Paul Pierce truth nickname was, and it was a weird story. Well, interesting story. Um, but, you know, honestly, um, like I'm under no illusion that this job is any, you know, has any great importance to, to anyone. You know what I mean? In terms of, uh, you know, you could... You can look at pretty much every other job in the world is more important in the overall grand scheme of things than than what are, you know. I, I tell you the basketball score, you know, big whoop. <laughs> um, but it's, it's not often that you get to do something you think might might help somebody, you know. Um, and there were a couple times that that happened. I said, okay, you know something, I I didn't just tell you the score today, and, and uh, there was once where uh, they had a, a Celtic road trip was ending, a West Coast trip was ending in Denver. And um, uh, so you, you have to do your stuff that night, but then you have to grab an extra story that you can write the next day for the following day's paper. And um, so I pulled aside Danny Fortson, if you remember him. And um, you know, he'd been starting to play a little bit better. And uh, um, I said, you know, uh, Rick Patino said, you know, that, uh, you know, if you if you get better with the plays, he'll be able. He's going to play you more. And he said, he said, well, you know, it's a little bit tough. And I, he's a guy I developed a little bit of a relationship with because he'd gone to University of Cincinnati, and I'd gone to Dayton, and we'd kind of busted each other's chops about that little rivalry back when it was one. Um, and he said, well, it's been a little bit difficult for me because. I don't learn the same way that other guys do because I've got dyslexia. And there's like a pause. And back then, like we, we've come to the point now where people understand what dyslexia is and what it isn't now. But back then, it was still had kind of a stigma to it, you know? Um, people, didn't, people didn't quite understand it in the, in the general sense. The, the general public didn't understand it quite that way. And I paused it. Danny, do you want to tell me this? Do we want to talk about this? You know, because, you know, you know, you don't want to put a guy in a bad position with something personal like that. Right. And he yeah, paused with me and said, yeah, well, let's talk about this. So we go in and we talk about the whole thing. Now, 
I finished my stuff for that night. Now the next day I've got to write this story, but it's incumbent upon me to make sure that people know that this is, you know, this does not mean that Danny Fortson's a dumb person. It means he's got this learning <laughs> yeah. issue that a lot of people have. And uh, again, this is back before internet. So I remember calling my paper the next day before I got on the flight and I ended up working it out with the editor on duty that day that, hey, look, um, I got to, you know, I want control over the headline of this story, which writers don't. But he was, I said, it's a sensitive story. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm not going to write it. And he said, well, if it's important to you, go ahead. And, you know, you, uh, he granted that. And then um, I couldn't figure out how to get into the story, how to start it. And then I finally, I called back a while later and said, look, I need you to go to the papers library, the morgue. Uh, and search and find out, get me a list of famous people um, who've had dyslexia. And so he did. And um, uh, so I was able to write the story and, and the lead was something like Danny Fortin has something in common with, you know, like, I don't know, I don't remember the people like Einstein, Picasso, <laughs> Bing Bing, all these like, you know, whatever, <laughs> period. Next paragraph, he has dyslexia, period. Next paragraph. And I was, so I was able to like take this any, you know, stupid stigma off it, you know, the, uh, stupid in the sense that someone else might have, might look at it improperly and write the story. And, you know, so if there was a kid uh, whose parents might've read the story or the kid might've read the story and, you know, he could, his parents could tell him, Hey, look, here's this big tough guy who's playing in the NBA and he's got dyslexia too. And so, you know, you don't need to feel like you're, you know, to the child, you don't really need to feel like you're isolated or, you know, here's all these famous people have it. And this big tough guy with muscles has, it, you know, and, and look at him. And so maybe, you know, life could be a little bit easier for someone like that, you know, and if I can, God, more this to be a brief thing. And now we're going on and on, but can I tell you no one problem. quick one? No, 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 please, we're fine. please. We just don't want to hold you up. Uh, if you you want to stay yeah, in chat? Yeah, we no, got I've got, you. I've got to go. I still got to go to the gym. Um, <laughs> After uh, your four miles? Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> I, you know, um, it's a little difficult. Weight work is difficult. It's hard for me to go in and, you know, take crap from inanimate objects, but I will do it. <laughs> um, tough when, yeah, when metal is laughing at you. Um, you remember when, when, um, Magic Johnson, um, you know, he had the whole HIV thing. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, he made a comeback. He was playing. Right. And, um, so, uh, the Celtics were out in LA to play the Clippers. And, um, this is to tell you how long ago it was. Uh, I realized I would have a chance to get from the Celtic practice over to a Laker practice. They were in town and they were practicing over the forum. Again, we're, we're talking way back. Um, and there had been a story in the paper in the Herald <clears throat> about uh, someone on a news site had talked to high school kids. Um, and back then the HIV AIDS was still a, a major issue. It still is, but you know, we, we appear to have found ways to deal with it somewhat. Um, but uh, they were, this person was talking to high school kids who were saying, hey, this isn't a big deal. Look at Magic. Magic, you know, he's back playing. And, you know, and look, he's even, uh, he's even heavy. Because back then people thought, well, you just kind of wither away and die. So uh, right. I kind of wanted to talk. I thought about this with Magic, you know. So I had the paper fax me that story. I said, I think I can make it over to the South to the Laker practice. And in case I can, can you fax me that story? So I go into the forum and um, um, Laker practice finishes and Magic looks over and laughs. What are, you, what, are you, what are you doing here? I go, uh, I need to talk to you, I think. And um, he says, okay. So we were sitting in the stands at the forum and um, I said, like I showed him this story. I go, this kind of scares me because basically it means that kids could, you know, were engaging in, you know, at the, you know, risky behavior. 
And they will point to him as a reason why it's okay. And I said, you know, this kind of scares me. You know, you want to talk about this. What do you think about this? And Magic, you know, looked at it and he like, he basically, okay, let's talk. And he said, and he proceeded to just really give it up. He said, you know, because at the time, things were, the circumstances looked different. He said, I made, you know, mistakes and these, this and that. He goes, um, I'm not going to be this. I'm going to die before I'm supposed to. I'm not going to be able to see things with my kids that I'm supposed to see because of this. And no one should think. And I have access to the best treatments and the best doctors that other people don't have. So people shouldn't look at me and think, you know, that they need to, that they can, you know, um, not be careful. People still need to be careful, especially kids. You still got to be very, very careful. So, I mean, you know, that was something that may have, you know, kept someone from doing something that, that could have endangered themselves. So that was like, so, you know, two days out of 35 something years that I didn't feel like a total waste of uh, oxygen, you know. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, both, both of those stories were amazing. Probably some of the best we've heard. We, we always love uh, when guests come on and tell us cool stories. I mean, like, like I said, these are great and Story please if you ever have any more don't don't feel like you're keeping us up we love listening so we really appreciate it but uh with that we'll we'll as you said get off your lawn we'll let you go get your gym workout and we really appreciate you coming on the show though today steve for sure yeah guys be well but, um yeah you guys can follow steve on twitter at steve b hoop we're bannertown usa i'm jack simone nba there and sam you can wrap up the show yeah give steve a follow he he's got thirty thousand add to the total or almost 30,000. He's around there. I'm not exactly sure. But uh, we appreciate him coming on again. Uh, follow Bannertown. Follow Jack. You can follow me at Sam LaFrance NBA. And that's our show for today. Bye.